he 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 made an impact. That's Neo Robertson. Neo is 14 years old and lives in Johannesburg. And when he heard that the American actor Chadwick Boseman had passed away a week or so ago, Neo was pretty devastated. I really looked up to him as an actor, as a superhero. He's a really cool person. Any scene that he's with another group of actors, they had to step up their game to match his level and to keep up with him. The acting just came so naturally and so passionate and so so only be as skilled at piano and music as he is at acting. Chadwick Boseman's death, aged 43 from colon cancer, caused an outpouring of grief all around the world and in South Africa too. Reports on the actor seem to suggest he was a thoroughly good guy, but the level of sorrow caused by his passing was intimately connected to the character he became best known for playing, the Marvel superhero Black Panther chief protagonist of the movie of the same name in 2018, the first major superhero film centered on a black character. After Bozeman's death, but before it as well, there has been a sense that this character mattered, really mattered. And the grief of so many people around us in South Africa got us thinking, do we have enough local superheroes? Do we have characters in novels and comic books that the majority of South African kids can see themselves in and aspire to be. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, the Daily Maverick podcast where we bring you the stories behind the stories. On this week's show, we're talking to local writers and publishers and asking them, where are the characters of color in South Africa's kids' books? And could the answer to this question go some way towards explaining the old stereotype that South Africans just don't like to read? I'm Rebecca Davis. Together with my wife, Haji, who's also the producer for this show, I've recently adopted a baby. And as a result, we've been spending a lot more time than usual absorbed in the world of toys and books for babies and children. Going into the kids' section of local bookshops, you can't help but be immediately struck by the shortage of books for children by local authors of color featuring characters of color. We ended up buying a whole bunch of books from the States, where the offering is much more extensive, and other local parents I've spoken to have said they resorted to doing the same thing. But before we went off on a tangent, I wanted to check that our perception was actually correct. So we called up Mimi Duplessis, who's the head of children's publishing at Pan Macmillan. To answer your question, whether there's a shortage of children's books published in South Africa with black main characters, yes. There's a great shortage of local children's books portraying the lives of black children. But more importantly, there's an great, enormous lack of black authors writing these stories, telling these stories. So the local publishing industry acknowledges that there's a major problem here. You can buy Harry Potter in probably any bookshop anywhere in the country. But what about books where the heroes and the clever kids aren't all little white kids? Let's make one thing clear. To raise this as an issue is not just woke posturing. A powerful concept in children's literature is that kids' books should be windows and mirrors, 
windows because they offer children the chance to peek into other kinds of lives, which fosters empathy and imagination, but mirrors because it's hugely important for children to see themselves reflected in books and understand that society values them accordingly. And neither is this just about black kids or colored kids or Indian kids. Research shows that white kids who are exposed early to images and narratives featuring positive characters of color are, in crude terms, less likely to be racist when they grow up. In short, everybody wins. But what does it mean in practical terms when you grow up in a country where there is so little available in children's books for you to be able to truly relate to as a child of color? One particularly eye-opening answer came out of a conversation I had with local publisher Sibongile Machika, who's an associate editor with Pan Macmillan. In school, the content or the things that made me start recognizing myself in the, my immediate world were pamphlets from the clinic, the Society pamphlets that were teaching people about HIV AIDS. And I absorbed those kind of like comic books. So it was the images, and at the time they were using actual photos as opposed to illustrations. You were seeing colored people, you were seeing black people, you were seeing white people, you know. And people were being raised by their grandmothers, and the idea of food insecurity was a real thing, you know. All of this was in the context of HIV, but at the time, obviously, I had no idea about sex, and HIV seemed like something that adults worried about, but the rest of the so to speak, comic book was so relevant to my life, you know, going to school with a bunch of your friends and some kids being in transport. Until Sibongile reached university and began to study English literature, where she was exposed to classic novels of the African canon like Nervous Conditions by Zimbabwean author Tsitsi Dangaremga, the closest published materials she found to what was actually going on in her life were pamphlets intended for sexual health education. Just to illustrate the point, I was born in 1991. So one would think that I've had a better experience in terms of the reading world. Unfortunately, Sibongile's experience is not at all unusual. Writer, actor and arts activist Bukle Ngaba told us that because her own family had a rich tradition of fantastic storytelling, she assumed that she would find the same worlds captured within books. But the young Bukle quickly realized that was not the case. My grandparents have always told stories, you know, and in and amongst my family, it's always been something that we've done. And because they were always the stories about the family or people that had passed, you know, they always featured incredible men or incredible women or incredible whoever's. And so I always saw myself as part and parcel of that tapestry. It was only once I started to go to school and pick up actual books that I realized, wow, so the stories that I hear at home and stories that are presented to me at school aren't the same. Here's award-winning author Mohale Mashiko with her experience of early reading. When I was in primary school, the only book that had a black kid in it was a book called Not So Fast Shongololo. That couldn't have been written by a black person because why would you call this little boy Shongololo? But... <laughs> That was the extent of representation for people like me in, in children's books. Mohale started writing her own stories in adolescence. But even then, she realizes now the extent to which they were shaped by the American teen literature, which was all the rage in the 1990s. In high school, I used to write Sweet Valley High fan fiction. <laughs> I used to write it with, with one of my very good friends, and she'd write a chapter and I'd write a chapter. Look, it was near pornographic because... I guess we were all teens and we needed something racy. But even then, our characters were 
based on Jessica and Elizabeth, but they were they were two black girls. One lived in Yeovil, one lived in Soweto. But that initial urge on Mohale's part to create her own fictional world rather than relying on more alien contexts never left her. When we're back, we hear from Mohale and Bukle about how they tackled the problem by deciding to tell their own stories. We love making this podcast and ideally we'd like to keep making it until podcasts are replaced by a new kind of technology. But to do so, we really need your help. We ask you to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts and to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, not simply to boost our egos, though we love that too, but because reviews and ratings make it easier for other people to find us. Thanks again for your support. In 2016, Bukhle Ngaba wrote and self-published her own children's book. It's called The Girl Without a Sound, and at the time of its publication, Bukhle described it as being born out of defiance and as a response to the fairy tales we were told as little girls, stories about white princesses with blue eyes, flowing locks of hair, and an overwhelming awareness of their beauty. It's about a little girl who is born with a cocoon in her throat, so she can't speak. And initially she's okay with this until other people, I suppose, start to notice this and to make it a problem. And then she essentially starts to, I suppose, get quieter and quieter and quieter until one day a red-winged woman flies through her window. One could say it's imagination, maybe. Maybe she rescued herself. I don't know. But somebody, a red-winged woman, comes through and takes her to another planet, another place. And they go beachcombing and she discovers little things along the way that root her in something. And then by the time we get to the end of the story, you know, she does make a sound, but of her own. It's not hard to see the metaphor here, coming from a society in which the voices and stories of little girls of colour are still heard so rarely. But Bukhle says her intention in writing the book was ultimately far simpler. Man, just so that kids can laugh. And that, that, that amazing feeling when you look at something and you just smile, because you're just like, flip, that's me. For me, to be honest, it doesn't even have to be that deep. It is as simple as remember when you were a kid and you walked into the cinema and you watched a story that made you feel like that's something that you experienced last week. It's just... I don't know. I can't, I cannot highlight how important it is. I suppose the best example I could use right now is, you know, my nephew who is so, so distraught about the passing of Chadwick Boseman, you know. It's something that we need to remember that for us, you know, it's an actor and it's a person. But for kids, that's Black Panther, you know, that's everything. It seems like all paths at the moment lead us back to Chadwick Boseman. But Mohale admits to having slightly mixed feelings about the idea that an American character like Black Panther can amount to representation for African kids. I've been thinking about this now for a while, about cultural imperialism, where if something happens for African-Americans, then it's supposed to be a win for everybody. You know, every Black person on earth. And we sometimes don't realize how important it is for us to have our own wins. It was this sense of discomfort that led Mohale to get involved in writing comic books herself. 
She's currently the scriptwriter for Kwezi, South Africa's first black superhero, the creation of former Super Strikers colleagues, Loiso Mkize and Clyde Beach. Kwezi is a kid from the Eastern Cape who runs away after some kind of conflict with his father and winds up in, in Gold City. And something happens where a star appears, and as soon as the star appears, some people have powers. They may be small powers, they may be big powers, but Quasi's the one that gets the superhero starter pack, you know, super strength, flight. And you would think that when you get the superhero starter pack, you want to go be a hero, except Quasi's like, oh, how, how can I maximize this for Instagram followers? So he stops crimes, but not for the right reasons. He stops crimes so he can post them on Instagram. And basically, this journey is about Quezzy realizing if he is some kind of altruistic hero or these powers are a burden. So in the archetype of, of comic books, it's a classic chosen one story. Mohale says little kids, particularly boys around eight or nine, love this comic. So I think Quizzy is so important because for me, it's the beginning of something. For somebody to see a superhero who looks like them or looks like somebody they may know in a city or a country that they're familiar with. It's not everything, but it's definitely the beginning of something when it comes to South African comic books and representation and letting our imagination run wild. But not everybody who is concerned about the lack of representation in books and comics for South African kids has the talent of Bukle and Mohale to make their own. Throughout the conversations we had while making this episode, one issue kept recurring about the South African publishing industry and whether there really are concerted efforts afoot to change the overwhelming whiteness of local kids' books. Mimi Duplessis insists that the appetite from within the industry is there. As far as the larger, more established publishing companies are concerned, we are all deeply aware of the fact that things need to change and that the change must happen faster. In our company, as I'm sure in other companies, there is a great sense of urgency that we need to transform the children's book landscape and that we just need to figure out how, because it's not that we do not want to, we want to, we need to. It's just a matter of establishing what factors are standing in our way. One of these factors is the bottom line. If you listen to conversations, there's no doubt that there is a demand for books written by black authors, for books with black main characters, but this demand does unfortunately not result in sales. Mimi says local children's books are hardly ever on the bestseller list. Books in South Africa are, of course, also notoriously expensive, which is what has spurred a recent push by writers, activists and publishers to get the government to include books on the list of zero-rated products for sale. In other words, products on which you do not pay value-added tax. That might help, but in a country with 30% unemployment, it's not hard to imagine that books will remain luxury items as long as widespread poverty persists. But fellow publisher Sibongile also makes an interesting point, that it's a relatively recent phenomenon for commercial publishers to have to take on responsibility for some of the issues we're grappling with today. I think something happened in the late 80s, most of the 90s, where publishing stopped or became a purely trade and commercial endeavor, as opposed to what publishing really is, right? It's also very much 
like let's say the mandate of the SABC, a matter of education and information dispensation, along with being entertaining and all those things, right? And sometime during the various changes in government, when we switched to becoming a democratic country, I think the mandate as to whose responsibility all that is changed. Because I think before, publishers worked very closely with the education department, worked very closely with various government departments, depending on what kind of publishing we obviously did. And it wasn't solely the job of the publisher to produce the books that would entertain, educate, and all those lovely things that we imagine books to do. So yeah, I think the, the answer is a lot more complicated than that. And I think now the difference is that publishers are alone and on their own in their various mandates and endeavors. It's also worth noting that although the publishing industry takes a lot of flack, a significant portion of the responsibility for the local book scene should be given to large bookstore chains. One publishing source who spoke to me off record said that as excited as a publisher might be about a new book, if the powers that be at a big bookshop decide only to stock three copies of it or shove it on a shelf where nobody will see it, bad sales are almost guaranteed. Mimi also wanted to point out that, quote, it's not that nothing is happening or that zero children's literature is available locally featuring characters who look like the majority of the population. Over the past 20 30 years, there were authors who consistently contributed towards a body of work, writing children's books with black main characters, telling the stories of black children. I'm thinking of authors such as Nikki Daly, Jude Daly, Jenny Robson, Leslie Beek, Wendy Hartman, Wendy Martins, Sandiwe Magona, Chris Van Veik, Gina Mushlope, Eleanor Sisulu. All of these wonderful authors that contributed to a local children's literature, trying to make it more representative. Mimi also listed for us a number of more recent publications, which you can find in the show notes to this episode, together with details of Mohale and Bukle's books. There's another point worth making. The statistics for South Africans who read regularly or read to their children are pretty depressing. But that doesn't mean that South Africans aren't interested in the idea of fiction or in imagined worlds. For example, Sibongile's dad is a taxi owner for whom the world of publishing is pretty alien. But he gets his fix elsewhere. Two o'clock, there's a radio drama and he follows it religiously. So it's to the point where if he's not in the car at that point, he will find... Like, you know, he'll leave the house to be in the car so that he can listen to these things. To help my dad understand what I do for a living, I had to tell him that, you know, the stories that you hear at two o'clock every day on Ikwekwezi, someone puts them together. I'm that someone. The passion for stories, in other words, is already deeply ingrained in South African culture. And if we could produce more local children's books, which speak as powerfully to our youngsters as the radio dramas do to Sibongile's dad, Perhaps we'd be a step closer to raising generations of avid readers. Here's Bukle with the last word. For me in South Africa in particular, the thing that I wish the most for our kids, that in classrooms, you know, rather than having a dictionary and a medical book that they definitely can't understand, 
can we please have bookshelves that kids can walk amongst that make sense and that they can read stories that 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 feel and look and sound like them Don't shoot the messenger is a podcast brought to you by the Daily Maverick This episode was produced by Haji Mohammed Dawji with sound engineering, editing and support by Bernard Kotzer, Tevia Turok Shapiro and Catherine Kotzer. You can listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger on the Daily Mavericks website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. For more, subscribe to the Daily Mavericks newsletters and follow us on Twitter and Instagram.